Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we get started, are you wanting to develop your leadership skills? Then why not join my six-month transformational leadership programme, which combines one-to-one coaching with live group sessions. To find out more, head over to my website, www.fishclimbtrees.co.uk or book a call with me using the Calendly link in the show notes. Together, we will dive deep and climb high. Today, we're going to be diving deep into the world of campus services. My guest was a student at the university where he currently works. Since graduating, he has held several different positions. And today, he's campus services manager. He has a wealth of knowledge covering services, partnerships, and people, and is a committee member of the Association of Student Residential Accommodation, ASRA. And although we hadn't met until a few weeks ago, somebody had suggested I had to talk to him because he's an up and coming leader in our sector. So of course I had to follow that lead. I'm so excited by today's conversation because there are so many different areas we could explore and I really have no idea where our discussion is gonna end up. So without further ado, please welcome Jordan Meats. Wow, thank you very much. What uh, what an introduction. Absolute pleasure to uh, to be here with you today. And uh, yeah, very much looking forward to uh, to what we're going to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is so lovely. I mean, I love the whole point of this podcast, which is about talking to people that I haven't known before. And, and your name certainly came up as somebody who you must speak to him. If leadership is what you're interested in, then you need to chat to Jordan. So perhaps the best place to start is for you to share a little bit of your own journey and how you've ended up in the space that you've ended up in. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, well, to, to start, as well as being a stereotypical tight-fisted Yorkshireman, uh, I'd describe myself as fully institutionalised <laughs> in the world of higher education, uh, and in particular, student accommodation. So, uh, as you've, you've kind of alluded to there, my career journey really started back when I was a student uh, here at Sheffield Hallam University, uh, between 2009 and 2012, which shows you how old I'm, I'm getting nowadays. Um, so I was fortunate, I was never fortunate, should I say, to be in a position of, you know, knowing what I wanted to do as a career, but university kind of felt like the natural step for me at that particular time. Um, and it was whilst I was studying for my degree that I had the opportunity to work for the university. And, you know, that wasn't a pre-planned thing, came very much by chance, and also by a strange coincidence that a close member of my family 
just so happened to work in the very same building that Accommodation Services was based and happened to know that they were recruiting uh, for casual members of staff. So naturally, I decided to put my name forward uh, and off along I went to work as a facilities accommodation assistant. And it was really working as a facilities accommodation assistant that really helped to give me that initial grounding and introduction to the sector. Uh, so it was very much my you know, first proper job, if you like. I, I've done bits of voluntary work and casual work in a sports sense, but this was something you know completely different, completely new. And I think in many ways, it was also something that I perhaps needed personally, as I was always very sort of shy, reserved in, in my younger years, believe it or not, nowadays. <laughs> and that really pushed me out of my comfort zone. It was a great job. And I worked with a team of other casual student staff members, as well as permanent staff as well. Um, so I remember helping with things like sending out room offers. I remember packing thousands of envelopes with contracts, accommodation literature in them, sending them through the post to thousands of students, which sounds absolutely crazy when you, you think back to it now in terms of that's how we used to do things, but also helping with things like general inquiries and working on what are uh, what is known as our infamous house hunting events, where we'd effectively take students on a coach or several coaches on some occasions around the city to our registered properties and landlords for viewings. And many of the students that participated in those house hunting events were international students and had arrived in Sheffield either on the day of the house hunt or within the last 24 hours. So it was a great way for me to you know, meet new people, meet new students and really gain a different perspective as opposed to the UK undergraduate student journey as well. So that was really my first sort of foray into the, the wonderful world that is student accommodation. Uh, and that was something that I did um, for three years. And I think it, it kind of got to the stage where they just couldn't get rid of me really. In fact, I often, when I talk about my, my career journey, I often say that I'm kind of like the office cat uh, in that I turned up one day, they fed me and they've just not been able to get rid of me since then. <laughs> but no, looking back in all honesty, I, I you know, never would have thought that the job that I got whilst I was studying uh, to earn a little bit of money on the side would lead me to have a career in the sector. I suppose that's a bit of a familiar tale if you've spoken to you know, other, other people in, in the sector, a lot of people tend to, to fall into it a little bit. Yeah. But of course, as, as they couldn't get rid of me, um, I then was kept on and eventually secured the job of accommodation officer. And that's where I spent seven years, really, as an accommodation officer, where I was responsible for the allocation, provision of processes, and ultimately the supply of student accommodation for Sheffield Hallam. So that, equates to roughly about five and a half thousand bed spaces and this role was really quite varied for me so alongside the day-to-day -day activities there were two areas in particular that I was responsible for uh, the first of which was being the lead for the services private sector offering so this meant that I was responsible for the marketing of private sector properties uh, contract and tenancy advice property inspections liaison with our registered landlords and providers and various stakeholders as well, such as Sheffield City Council and the two respective student unions. So this role really afforded me the opportunity to play a lead role in the implementation and promotion of Sheffield's successful 
citywide private sector housing standard, which is called SNUG, which launched uh, way back in 2014. Uh, and effectively, that's a, a property inspection standard, uh, which is awarded to homes that meet the required standard of property and tenancy management and when the landlords or property owners are considered fit and proper. So it's a really great scheme that made a, a massive difference to the city. It ensures all of our students have access to good quality, safe accommodation, whilst also recognising those landlords that go above and beyond. So it's something that I'm really proud to have played a part in. After my work on SNUG and, and the private sector element of our service, I then had the opportunity to move into more of a communications e-marketing, social media kind of focused aspect and role. So again, that was very much alongside the day-to-day -day work of being an accommodation officer. Um, but within that sort of specialism, um, I was tasked with designing and creating both proactive and reactive communications for what was then the facilities directorate at the university, which included accommodation services, but also some of the other service areas such as you know, sport, catering, print, security, uh, as well as the wider well-being, welfare elements of student life as well via the browser platform and several social media channels. So over this period, I had to work very closely with uh, various service areas within facilities directorate, as well as external agencies and organisations to source content, promote key messages around not just housing and accommodation, but commercial offers as well. So in terms of those messages, you know, that was done in a more lighthearted way with content in a style and format that students were more likely to resonate with. So it was very much informal. It was fun. You know, we used memes, GIFs, which, you know, as you can imagine, did cause a little bit of a stir at the time, <laughs> especially amongst those who perhaps were of the opinion that, you know, all comms had to be very corporate and formal, even to a student audience. Yeah. But at the peak of my time, in the, the more comms orientated role, I was pretty much creating content to an audience of well over 15,000 students and staff. So it was a fantastic experience and allowed me to de develop lots of new knowledge and skills, skills that I'd never had previously. And some of those skills I actually use today uh, in, in some of my voluntary work with, with ASRA. And then much like other universities, uh, we underwent a massive restructure which was university-wide, and that's effectively where I was promoted to my current role today, which is Campus Services Manager within the then newly formed Campus Development Team. Um, so my role today uh, is effectively to coordinate and provide operational management of the Campus Development Team, which includes the University Accommodation Service. Uh, so I very much work in a collaborative manner to deliver an inclusive and responsive service whilst managing and planning the delivery of accommodation services. So as a bit of background context at Sheffield Hallam, we don't actually own any of the accommodation that we allocate students to. So a significant part of my role is to work in partnership with numerous individuals, companies, manage new and existing partnerships to ensure that the university and our students are receiving the appropriate levels of service uh, to ensure prevention, early intervention, and timely resolution of a range of issues. So some of the things I've been included and involved in over the past few years, obviously things like the response to COVID-19, uh, major incident planning with partner providers, 
shaping the university response to COVID-19, the delivery of a safe arrival strategy for the mass migration of students during a pandemic, uh, and obviously the delivery of quarantine accommodation provision, managing bookings with cross-functional team working, providing things like welfare checks, food packs, amenity deliveries. So that's pretty much my, my journey in a, in a bit of a nutshell. Over the last few years, I have also been involved in ASRA, so definitely taking more of a, a role in external networks, which I guess we'll talk a little bit more about uh, later on. But I think if I reflect generally on, on my career today, I'd say that managing partnerships and people have very much been at the forefront of a lot of the work and a lot of the opportunities that I've been involved in. So I think that pretty much gives you a bit of a potted history of my journey and career today. Thank you. What a journey you've been on. You've covered loads of areas in, in what I would say is still a short career. You might feel like it's long, but I feel like it's quite short. So I guess where I'd like to start, if that's OK, is in all of those different roles that you had, I'm guessing that you would have had different managers, different styles of management. You would have seen what sort of management there was within the university, but also with all the external organisations and partners you were working with. So now in the role that you have where you have your own team and have to provide your own leadership, what does leadership mean for you? I think when I think about leadership and what leadership means to me, I, I always do tend to relate it to, to my career and think of, of my journey and how that's you know heavily focused on partnerships and people. So from that experience alone, I think there's a number of key things that I've sort of picked up and, and learnt along the way, if you like. So the first one is very much that leadership in itself is a partnership. Um, so in its simplest form, I think that, you know, effective leadership is about achieving the task, but also while supporting people along the way. So as a leader, my aim is to develop partnerships with my immediate team and colleagues. Um, I found that the best partnerships in that sense occur where there's both clarity and freedom. So clarity on each individual's role, clarity on what the expectations are, but freedom within that to be able to express oneself and communicate freely. And that's also where diversity is key. So it's not necessarily about molding a team, service, organisation, based on yourself and people like you. You need to challenge, you need to be challenged, you need people to question and yes, sometimes people to tell you that you're talking an absolute load of rubbish, um, perhaps not as direct as that, but you get the picture. And it's often the simplest things like, you know, regular one-to-ones, kit meetings, making yourself available, frequent two-way communication. And I'm aware that I'm not saying anything that's, you know, revolutionary there at all, but they are so vital. Uh, for me, it's about stating a commitment to people reserving the time and space for people, letting them know that you're there, that you listen, that you're there to guide, to shape and to formulate. I think what people do often tend to forget is that people are an organisation's biggest asset. And when I look at partnerships on behalf of the university, I'm investing as much in the people as I am the particular property or the particular brand. And that's something that I've actually done on quite a few occasions with some of the partnerships that we've secured with providers over the last couple of years to determine which halls we use to house our students. So yes, from an accommodation sense, the room and the facilities 
a massive part, but accommodation for me is much more than bricks and mortar. It's equally about the service, the experience, and how our students are treated. Yeah. That brings me quite nicely as well onto, onto my next point, which is the commitment and the ability to build and maintain partnerships is a quality that also inspires and attracts other people. So in the sense of leadership, it shows people that you've got conviction, that you believe in the particular goal or cause. And in my experience, I think a team will often buy into the leader before they actually buy into the vision. I'm aware that there's you know, a whole plethora of research out there in terms of how relationships and relationship building is attributed to things like positive relational energy and that any successful team, there's normally an individual or a collection of individuals that are responsible for the impetus and forward motion. Typically, that's the leader's role um, in the sense of being true to your values, having a clear vision as to what you want to achieve. If you know how to get there as well, fantastic. But in my experience, the getting there isn't always the be all and end all. And that's why you build and maintain those partnerships. It's important to surround yourself with the right people, drawing on different partnerships to help formulate the actual approach. And I often use other people's skill sets, knowledge, experiences, because I'll hold my hands up. I don't know it all. I'll never know it all. And I think as a leader, it's recognizing who can provide the forward motion at any one given time who has the skill set and expertise for the task and using that with the appropriate acknowledgement as well, of course. Love that. I love that, you know, you think leadership is a is a partnership. So I just want to go back to something that you said quite early on there, which was about this whole idea, you know, that a partnership needs both clarity and freedom. And I would totally agree. And I'd love to know more about how, how do you achieve that? within the different partnerships and do different partnerships require a different balance or a, a different focus? Yeah, I definitely say that different partnerships require a different balance and, and a different focus, just as partnerships are, are different in terms of, you know, the contractual nature of those partnerships. The individuals involved in those partnerships are are also contrasting and different as well. And I think that also comes down to the ability to influence, which again is a a key component of leadership, not just the ability to create or or shape change, whether this be internally or or externally. And again, I'm aware that there's a lot of theory and academic literature on that subject from people that are far more qualified to, to talk about such matters than me. But in either case what is fundamental is the ability to build the relationship and build trust in the relationship as well and that's applicable across the board so regardless of whether the partnership is for you know 10,000 beds or the partnership is for 20 beds trust and the ability to build that relationship is always going to be front and center and I think successful leaders within that willingly adopt contrasting styles of leadership to encourage greater engagement amongst whether you say followers or individuals in partnerships in any process. So rather than an all-encompassing approach to partnerships or leadership, I think any given style can be effective given the correct situation, the correct circumstances and 
concerning the individuals involved as well. So I'm a big believer in trying to exercise things like emotional intelligence uh, and expertise as a leader via what's known as a situational approach to leadership. So I think very much modern leaders have got to have an appreciation of not just the psychodynamic, but emotional nature of both macro, micro environments within which we're all operating, and particularly within those environments that are susceptible to change, as we've seen quite frequently over the last two to three years with everything that you know the pandemic has brought, particularly in the sense of higher education and student accommodation as well. That's brilliant. I love that. And you mentioned there something around obviously and I'm talking now about accommodation providers and that's quite a unique relationship I think because you have the contractual which is often quite tight it's often there's a a financial implication for for either party so you have that that top level if you like strategic and then you had the important, well, for me, the more important level, which is about, and you touched on this, the experience that students have and, and how do you work together? So I'm intrigued. How do you manage that complexity in that partnership? So that, you know, one day you might need to go in and, you know, be talking contract and be quite, you know, you need to follow the agreement. But the next time you go in and actually it's like, how can we work together to improve the customer experience? How do you deal with that? Sure. So I, th- I think one of the sort of takeaway points that I've certainly learned over not just the last few years, but again, throughout my career in, in working at Sheffield Hallam uh, and in, in, in the way that, that we operate as a institution as well, is that those partnerships have to be mutual, whether it's, you know, information sharing the acquisition of knowledge, contact, process mapping. Um, One of the things that I've been really keen to build in Sheffield is that the providers we work with, we do so under a mutual partnership. So yes, there will be times where, you know, there's more more of a direct nature to, to the meeting, shall I say, in the conversations in terms of those contractual obligations. But I never want to have a situation where those conversations come as a surprise. So it's very much the case of similar to as, as if you were looking at this in terms of being a leader in amongst a, a particular team, those regular conversations, regular kit meetings, so that each and every individual involved in that partnership is fully briefed as to what the current situation is, what the expectations are. And that's done through things like regular landlord forums that we hold, both virtual and, and face-to-face. Or just generally, you know, picking up the phone, having the conversation, going out to site, visiting sites throughout the academic year. I ask questions of our partners just as they ask questions of me. Um, And I think very much it's a case of, you know, being passionate, being prepared to get involved and partners knowing that from my sense that any of the partnerships that I enter on behalf of the university, those partnerships will have my full unwavering commitment so I reach out to providers frequently as I say I visit sites throughout the year and I offer you know if if there's anything that either myself or my team can do to help or support partners you know we're here we're here to help and I find that that goes a long way in terms of helping to to manage those relationships and set that foundation in terms of 
the mutual benefit to the partnership and the general expectations that that brings as well. And you talked also about the fact that a fundamental pillar in those partnerships is trust. So how do you go about building that trust? Good question. I think the the element of building trust is, is very much part of the overall journey of any given partnership. Um, so if I take, you know, what, what we do on a, on a regular basis here at, at Sheffield Hallam is that we have those regular touch points with all of the organisations that we enter partnerships with. So, you know, things like application figures for uh, student accommodation, all of our partners receive regular uh, briefings as to, to what those numbers are looking like. They also receive the briefings from the university in terms of this is our recruitment position. You know, these are the markets that the university is, is targeting. And this is what we expect to see as a result. So it's very much a case of keeping partners within that partnership informed as to our thinking, not just as a service and at service level, but also the bigger picture as well. So it's seen how we plan to develop and grow as a local service area, but also as an institution, you know, what markets are we, are we looking at? And ultimately the decisions that we take as a service or that the university takes as an institution, what impact is that going to have then on partners as an extension of that partnership? We've got a saying here at Sheffield Hallam and, and you know, there's, there's lots of statements that often buzz around higher education with acronyms and, and whatnot, but I very much see our partners and partner accommodation providers as being part of that extended campus and that extended campus experience for students. Uh, and so any, any institution or individual that enters into one of those partnerships agreements with accommodation services do get the time from me and, and, and my team, do get the information in terms of where are we going as a service and as a university. And that's frequent and that's two-way as well. So just as I ask questions in terms of the strategic direction of a particular accommodation provider, I expect them to ask me the very same sort of questions as well. So I think trust is, is something that's built up over time. It's something that requires work. Um, and it's something that requires commitment from everyone that's involved in those partnerships over a period of time. And only with that commitment and time dedicated to the partnerships, can you build that trust element? Love it. So I'm intrigued. One final question about partnerships and then we'll go somewhere else. Is there a difference for you in the partnerships you have with partners, as in partner providers, accommodation providers, and the partnerships you form within your team? And if so, what are they? They're very similar in, in many respects. Um, and I think the partnerships that you form within a team and the almost the techniques that, that are used to form those partnerships in terms of you know, knowing each individual's strengths, each individual's deficiencies, can also be applied to partnerships in, in the physical sense as well, in terms of knowing which of your accommodation providers can offer a certain product, knowing where the strengths are, knowing where some of the deficiencies are, which then also leads you to 
discuss and determine, you know, where the opportunities are as well. So, you know, one of the things that, that we frequently look at here at Sheffield Hallam is what we call non-standard accommodation. Um, so courses that aren't your typical September to, to July. And we've actually quite successfully procured a number of, of beds uh, that, that cater for those non-standard courses within our accommodation portfolio. And a lot of that very much came from knowing the provision within the portfolio and knowing which of our partners were set up to be able to deal with the flexibility required in those situations and the contrasting demands that that particular group of students might have in comparison to a standard September to July course date. So I think in a lot of cases, there are elements of you know, the partnerships that you build in your team and, and, and the styles and the ways that you do that can also be used and formulated in partnerships that are of more of a contractual nature as well. I think at base level, they are fundamentally very much the same. You know, you're trying to build elements of trust. It's a commitment from both parties, whether it's individual to manager or whether it's company to university or vice versa. So I think 100%, there's definitely a lot of crossover elements there. And I think I've been quite fortunate at, at the university in that we were one of the sector leaders to work in the way that we do in terms of those partnership agreements. So it's something that historically we've always been quite good at. So when I came into the role, it wasn't something that you know I needed to, to tear the rule book up, so to speak, and, and start from scratch. It's something that we'd always done really well. So it was very much evolution rather than revolution in that sense. Brilliant. Love it. So as we mentioned at, at the beginning, you are a committee member of ASRA, the Student Residential Accommodation Association. So what has that brought to you in terms of your leadership journey? Yeah, so I mean, ASRA is something that I'd always been aware of in, in my previous years. Um, and I think after the first six months or so following my promotion to my current role, I personally was keen to get involved in wider networks in the sector. Um, I'd attended conference in 2018 in Birmingham, again in 2019 in, in Aviemore, and absolutely loved them. And the role of Northern Rep became available in, in 2020. And I decided to chance my arm and apply for that position. And thankfully was, was successful in that. So up until May, 2022, I was uh, the Northern Rep board for ASRA and was responsible for coordinating and representing activity and views within the region. So things like organizing and chairing regional meetings, seeking new membership and working to expand the network. So. It was an absolute privilege to, to represent such a fantastic and diverse region in what were extraordinary times. So I remember that we, we had a number of Zoom meetups to discuss the latest developments in the sector, the current state of play with lockdowns and isolation. Uh, and on occasion, I think they almost served as a bit of group therapy. Yeah, It was great to hear from speakers from other universities and the private sector as well. Uh, it was so valuable. A big shout out and massive thank you to everyone that was involved in those. But yeah, I think ASRA for me has been very much a cornerstone of, of my career to date. 
it's been fantastic to be involved in in such a, a wide ranging network. And I have genuinely loved every second of it. I think my role within ASRA, not just as a, a member on the committee, but as a delegate as well, it's enabled me to meet with and speak to members across the entire country. I've even been fortunate enough to speak to people in different countries, Australia, United States, to get a really rounded perspective as to, you know, what are the current issues in the sector, back to when it was, um, you know, things like lockdown and COVID-19, how other institutions, uh, other accommodation providers were dealing with particular issues at that point in time, and hearing about other colleagues' experiences has been both fascinating and inspiring in equal measure as well, really. So the one thing that I always say about ASRA is that it is an association that truly thrives on the diversity of its membership, and it's the wider membership that makes ASRA what it is. Massive part of that is hearing from other members, the continual sharing of knowledge and best practice for mutual benefit. So ASRA's had a massive impact on my personal and professional life as well. So if there is ever anyone out there that is thinking about getting involved in ASRA or indeed any professional network or association within their industry, I'd say 100% definitely go for it. Make the most of it because what you'll get back from that experience will be invaluable. Absolutely. And it's a key part of anybody's leadership journey, I think, to understand the the wider sector and what is going on, because there are different challenges, as you say, locally, uh, regionally. So, so, yeah, just to chat to people is really, really helpful. So one final question before we leave the accommodation sector. So from, from everything that you've experienced at Sheffield Hallam, your interaction with ASRA, what do you think is the biggest challenge that currently faces accommodation providers? Very good question. Uh, and there are probably several that I could reel off off the, off the top <laughs> of my head. I would say number one is affordability. I think we've all seen the cost of living crisis, and that doesn't look like it's going to be going away anytime soon. Um, so I think accommodation providers have a real challenge in terms of offering accommodation that has all the required facilities and is also affordable to a student audience yeah. as well. Uh, we've seen many reports in, in the sector as well that have highlighted affordability as a, as a growing concern. But when we talk about affordability, um, you know, we, we don't just necessarily refer to cheaper accommodation and cheaper doesn't necessarily mean lower quality. So I think students very much expect quality accommodation, but at a price that is reasonable. So I think providers, investors, anyone involved in the provision of student accommodation, affordability is going to be one of the key concerns moving forward. The other aspect that I would just sort of twin onto that as well is the mental health and well-being side of things as well. I dare say that, you know, as we come out of the other side of, of the pandemic all being well, that it will have a lasting impact. I think one of the things that we've done well as a, as a society um, is helping people transition into living in a pandemic and, and living in times of COVID, but we've not necessarily figured out 
their way back in. And I dare say that we're going to see the ramifications and, and the fallout from COVID for a number of years to come. So locally at Sheffield Hallam, we're seeing an increase in things like well, welfare, wellbeing cases. I dare say that they will continue to rise. So not just providers, but universities as well. Um, have also got to have welfare, well-being elements at the forefront of their mind. And that's where things like, you know, residence life and, and activities will really come into their own, I feel. Yeah, I agree. And I totally agree with you about what you said is that, and I see it from the leadership point of view and, and with our teams as well. We, When we went into the pandemic, we really thought about what that meant for people. But actually, it's as we come out of it, it's almost like people are going BAU, business as usual, and not expecting people to bring anything with them. And they are. And we need to support both our students and our teams in that transition, um, for sure. Thank you for making us all aware of that yet again. So obviously, you know, I inhabit this very strange world where fish climb trees. So when... I guess in, in your career to date, when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? I think it's a great question. And uh, I know from listening to some of your previous podcasts that this is always the one that throws people a little bit. Um, so for me, I think there's a number of times where I've dived deep. I'd definitely say that the diving deep element perhaps isn't necessarily a singular moment but more a series of moments over a, a longer period of time, which I've then reflected on. Um, so I think some of that comes from the, the person that I am in that I do tend to, to self-reflect and that's something that fortunately comes, comes quite naturally to me. I tend to analyse, consider, you know, reprocess and fully appreciate that that can be both positive and, and negative. But one of the things that I've sort of consciously tried to do, especially over the last few years, is to put myself in situations where I am actually forced to dive deep. And sometimes that's easy to do, sometimes it's hard to do, but I find that I get a real sense of achievement and value from that. So it's almost looking at a situation or a challenge and saying, okay, you know, that's that's a challenge. I've gone into it, I've done it, and yes, it may have been difficult, but I've overcome that. So I think honestly that there's there's never been an experience where I haven't taken something from it. And I think, you know, the barriers to, to progress and success are, are often the ones that, that we construct ourselves in, in many respects. So that's something that really resonates with me. But my sort of dive deep experience, perhaps unsurprisingly, I'm, I'm going to refer back to the whole pandemic COVID-19 situation. Um, I suspect that many who work in the field of student accommodation will say the same thing. Uh, as we all know, universities, accommodation providers, and indeed everyone has been battling with a, a massive amount of uncertainty over the past couple of years. It seems like we've seen everything from confirmed cases in isolation to staggered returns to campus, mass migration of students in the middle of a pandemic, lockdowns. Who could forget rule of six, quarantine and support functions, massive increase in welfare and well-being cases, interpreting government guidance uh, and obviously supporting staff, virtual events, things that are all second nature now, but at the time were massive challenges. 
and it was very much sink or swim. So it was certainly tough going, definitely at certain points. I think I learned a lot about myself and, and my colleagues here at Sheffield Hallam through that whole experience. Um, and for me personally, it all came at a time when I was relatively new in post. So, you know, starting in the November, December of 2019, and then by the March, the entire world had changed um, quite significantly. So I've, I've often said to my colleagues here that, you know, if we could come through all of that, we'd be stronger for it. And I believe that in many respects we are. So, yes, there'll be challenges and changes, uh, but I don't think anything on the scale that we've seen over the past few years. I mentioned before about accommodation being more than just bricks and mortar. And whilst I feel that at times it has been hard going, all of us in the sector have also had the chance to showcase the hard work that has been undertaken to support one another and to support our students. I feel that perhaps now there's a renewed appreciation yeah. as to the role that accommodation can play in a student's journey, not just university life, but in wider life as well. I think the other example that I will mention as part of Diving Deep as well is a, is a slightly different one and a more recent one and relates to the uh, Living Black at University report. Um, so there's a bit of background to that. A report was commissioned by UNITE students and carried out by Halpin, uh, which has looked at black students' experience in UK student accommodation. And there's been a number of key findings that have come from that. So one being that 54% of black students had experienced some form of racism in their accommodation, with three quarters reporting some level of impact on their mental health as a result of that. So, you know, that, that report serves as really uncomfortable reading, especially in a sector that frequently brings together students from all backgrounds and all walks of life in a residential setting. But it does also show that, you know, more work is needed and highlights the need for everyone involved in the provision of student accommodation to commit to action. So informed by that report, UNITE have launched a, a national commission, which I'm incredibly proud and privileged to be a part of. Um, and I'm massively looking forward to working with colleagues in the sector at both national and local levels to improve the experience for black students and subsequently all students living in UK student accommodation and genuinely making a difference. I'm under no illusion that the work is going to be challenging, but I think it will be challenging in a positive way. Um, and it will require both myself and others within the commission, uh, within the sector, to really dive deep and consider how, as a commission and as a sector, we can take actions forward and implement real change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully a future episode will be with somebody from Unite to talk about that very report. And I love both of those examples that you gave, such tangible examples about how all of us, I mean, not just within higher education, but across the world have had to dive deep over the last two years and the important thing is about taking those lessons and making sure that we don't forget them but also really the diversity black students you've mentioned that word diversity quite a lot today and it is it is really really important so so thank you for sharing both those examples when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree 
Oh, I'd say probably the first time that I presented at Azra, uh, which was 2019 in Avibor. Um, and my arm was very much twisted by my manager at the time, who also happened to be Azra chair. So she pretty much said that it would be a great experience and that I was doing it. Um, so I was very much railroaded into it. <laughs> but no, she was very supportive of, of me and had the confidence in me to, to do that, which meant a lot and, and still means a lot. So I, uh, I planned a, and delivered a presentation that was all about social media uh, and it was entitled social media I'll let you in on a secret and it was all about how we used social media at Sheffield Hallam to engage with students and it's one thing delivering a presentation to a large group of people in any case but it's a completely different situation delivering it to a group of your peers I don't think there's really any hiding place in that sort of scenario and you know, you've always got that niggling doubt. You never know how it's going to land, what the reaction is going to be. But I delivered the presentation. Uh, I was very nervous beforehand, but delivered it. And I got some absolutely fantastic feedback. Everyone was so supportive. And when people make a point of coming up to you after and saying, you know, that I was really useful and wanting to learn more. For me, that was a really powerful experience. And I don't know, I suppose it almost sort of validated that I do have something to offer and on the odd occasion, do know what I'm talking about and that people are actually interested in what I have to say. So when I look back, that's definitely one, one experience that I've sort of taken with me over the years. Love it. And you definitely have something to say and share with the world, for sure. So... If people want to get in touch with you, learn more, reach out, have a conversation, how can they do that? Yeah, more than happy to uh, to, to hear from anyone. Um, so they can contact me via email, uh, which is j.meets at shu.ac.uk. Uh, more than happy to connect with people on LinkedIn as well. And no doubt, if you're involved in, in student accommodation, you'll probably see me propping up the bar at, uh, at the ASRA conference or at Northern Regional meetings. So uh, yeah, do feel free to, to come up and say hello. Brilliant. I will put all those links in the show notes. So it just leaves me to say thank you so much for today's conversation. I can clearly understand why somebody recommended I talk to you. And, and I love that. I love that saying leadership is a partnership. I feel that might be the title of your episode. <laughs> So, so thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? I think in terms of final words of wisdom, it'd be very simple, but it would be know yourself and get to know other people. Know yourself in terms of your strengths, your deficiencies, your values, your vision, and get to know other people. And that's applicable not just in the sense of being a manager in terms of knowing your team, but knowing people within the sector that you operate, the city that you operate, the region and industry as well. Know yourself and get to know other people. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. 
Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't. <laughs>